All right. Kicking it off. It's Sunday. Happy Father's Day to uh, all the dads out there. Yeah, it's been an interesting week and an, an even more interesting 24 hours, I'd say. Lots of thoughts around recent happenings. I mean, I really want to dive into the show. I don't want to go on too long at the top of the show here, but like, um, you know, I uh, interviewed uh, Dr. Lehman Baird with um, King Solomon. That was epic. And there are a ton of really great updates from across the ecosystem on all fronts. And then today I was on Twitter and I, I can't remember how, who brought it to my attention that the mainnet was running at one transaction per second. And I, I don't know if it still is. We're going to talk about this today, but I just wanted to kind of like, it's kind of top of mind, I think for everybody. Yeah. So one transaction per second. So we'll talk about it, but talk about like, um, a, cr a crazy week. Um, I, you know, in the same week that, you know, I, I got to chat with kind of Lehman and ask him questions for the first time, the network dipped down to one transaction per second. It's wild. Um, but I don't think it's doom and gloom. I don't think that there needs to be any kind of uh, fear or uncertainty or doubt. I think it may, in fact, just be a little uh, blip and maybe a sign of what to come of what's to come. Who knows? There's a lot to kind of there's a lot of different ways to look at it. We got a bunch of uh, really cool stuff going on too. Like um, what else we got going on this week? Um, Mance. So the other co-founder of, uh, of Hedera, co-CEO of Swirled Labs, sent a nice message to the community with what I think could be maybe some kind of like hidden wink or something like that. I don't know. Um, Lehman also gave uh, a talk at the proof of talk, I guess, conference or whatever it was, it was really interesting. I'm always interested when I see Lehman on a panel with other people. It's very, it, it reframes a lot of stuff about Lehman, which I'll, which I'll touch on a little bit. Uh, we got update from Christian Hasker. We have like a kind of a very cool teaser from saucer swap. I think we know what it's about. Uh, updates from HBAR suite updates from the NFT ecosystem updates from hash pack wallet stuff deck stuff um we're going to touch on some of the things that were what that were um brought up in regards to access if any og nfth barbarians are out there you'll know what i'm talking about um aberdeen governing council member rocking on the main net coinbase featured a uh hedera use case which was very cool uh buh, buh, buh. some breadcrumbs some of this some of that you know what's going on and we're live on twitter spaces with another week in hashgraph to unpack and uh yeah i think we got a lot going on i mean with that good evening from ottawa canada everyone my name is brandon davenport and i'm a creative developer musician and founder at my creative firm, Dirksen Davenport, Inc., helping artists, businesses, and startups in the Hedera ecosystem. And like all of you, I'm a Hashgraph enthusiast. It is, what day is it today? It is Sunday, June 18th, and uh, this is a weekly show. We cover the top stories related to Hedera, HBAR, and everything in between 
broadcast live on Twitter Spaces every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and made available on all major podcast platforms, including, but not limited to, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, I think like Google Podcasts, all sorts of other stuff. Those go up every Monday. Get all the info you need about the show and listen to past episodes at itsbrandond.com slash hbar. If you're listening live right now, check out the Twitter thread pinned to the top of the spaces. Take a deeper dive into each of the stories. Do what you got to do. Also, everybody listening live, take a moment now to share the spaces. Let your friends know you're listening. The more, the merrier. You can also click the little comment button at that bottom right of the spaces. Ask a question. Share something interesting that people like uh, might like to know. And I will talk about it on the show. I'm keeping an eye on it. So, what do we got going on? Um, oh, yeah. something Something else that's awesome is... The show continues to get donations from the community, which is awesome. I'm pretty much right at the goal. I, I uh, got to get the new audio set up here. So I've got one piece, got to get a couple other things, but soon things are going to start sounding a lot better. My hope is to be starting to play like some clips of recordings from things that are in the news, um, all those different stuff. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. It'll make my job easier. It'll make the podcast a lot better. And it's all possible because of listeners like you. If you are interested in becoming a supporter of the show, please consider making an HBAR donation. Helps me continually add value to the Hashgraph community and keeps the show ad-free. You can send a donation to enthusiast.hbar using your Hedera wallet. The full HBAR address can be found in the Twitter thread pinned to the top. Um, and a reminder too, join the Hashgraph Enthusiast Twitter community. Great place to kind of share news, insights, all that good stuff. Check it out. You know what to do. Um, so... I want to talk about two things, and then we'll dive into the uh, the uh, the uh, Reddit report. Um, but like I said, happy Father's Day, everybody! All the dads out there, I see a couple dads listening. Shout out to all of you guys. Um, hopefully, you all got some uh, time to relax, you know, unwind. Um, but I do want to just dive into two things. So the first thing I want to dive into is. A little bit of a recap on the Lehman interview, um, and I know that uh, I know that um, King Solomon. I know you're tuning in. Uh, feel free to jump up if you want to chime in on this. But uh, we had a lot of interesting insights that we chatted on with Lehman. I had a chance finally to kind of re-listen to it because my goal was like, um, what exactly did we talk about? Because it was kind of a blur. Um, like, what exactly did we kind of talk about? Um, and I took a moment, too, to see what conversations were happening in the community, kind of ripples from that interview. There are a couple really interesting things. Um, but I wanted I, I, I made a couple notes as if I was like listening to it. There were that stuck out as interesting to me. Um, but King Solomon, good to have you. I was curious, like just coming off of that that uh, Lehman interview. I had a chance to go and re-listen to it again. I don't know if kind of the days after that, if anything kind of popped into your head or any kind of insights or, or takeaways that you inferred from that conversation. Because in the moment as it was happening, I was just, I wasn't like absorbing everything properly, you know? Yeah, I know. I mean, when you asked what questions, like <clears throat> we had to put together a pretty big topical list of questions, like, and send them over just like anytime you interview somebody like that, you know, it'd be like the same thing. If you interview Brad Garlinghouse or whoever, whoever you interviewed, like 
they always ask for questions in advance or at least topics in advance. So I know that you and I had liaised um, talking about kind of the flow and all those other aspects. You did a, you did a great job though, by the way, dude, like, because I know we had a shit ton of topics there to get through and you pivoted really nicely, like based on the way the conversation was already going and what question you wanted to ask. And I know that we were both on our own sides, having to keep track of which questions were asked and which questions weren't asked and where to go. Um, yeah, so fantastic job on that, too, because not a lot of people could kind of do that off the cuff. Um, what's interesting for me is, like, when we started, you know, the whole breadth of the entire interview was great. I really liked that last 25 minutes or so when we, when the question about how do we, you know, how do we envision these technologies converging kind of came about. Because you don't really normally hear or get to pick Lehman's brain from like outside of just the everything going on succinctly within Hedera, and you you know the, the internet Internet of Things, AI, and zero knowledge proofs and stuff. And somebody caught I, oh, what's the guy's name? It starts with a B. Um, oh, was it uh, was it uh, Danny Ede? Danny, Danny, sorry, it starts with oh, D. Yeah. Uh, Danny, Danny caught that um, Lehman had mentioned. Uh, the ZKP stuff, you know, integrating in with state proofs and all that, that type of an aspect, which is like, you really do have to listen. If you ask broad questions and you have, you ask enough questions, sometimes these OGs and these, like these bigger players or, you know, the inventors or whatever, you know, whatever, they drop little like nuggets of like information in there that, that are like three or four words long, but he caught that a hundred percent and that was really cool to see somebody catching like, you know, the other thing that was really cool that I, I mean, for me personally is that we were talking <laughs> and it's kind of ironic now. I mean, we're seeing the, the main at like one transaction per second, which is real transaction per second, which is probably more than tapping on some networks anyways. <laughs> but um, w- when we talked about a thousand or 10,000, I really liked when Lima was getting into the, you know, when we need to scale to, 100,000 or a million transactions per second occurring in real time or a billion. We can do that. We can do that through sharding and all the other aspects that are kind of involved. So I always like the, the forward thinking type stuff. So, yeah. It, it, and again, that's just kind of what I got from it. But I, you know, uh, being so busy in the space as you are doing these, you know, information it's almost like once you do the interview, it's like people was like people are like, "What have you done for me lately?" So like, what's the next thing? But I still think that's I'm probably going to go back and listen to Lehman again um, for that whole spaces and just listen to him talk and see if I miss anything. hundred percent. Like when you're doing interviews, especially with someone of that caliber and a lot of the people that you've interviewed, it's like in my experience, sometimes it's like in the moment during the interview, you're kind of in that mode of like navigating the topic, stringing things together, having it be something enjoyable, enjoyable and and listenable and smooth and i mean credit to lehman too like such a great interview such a professional like so great i mean credit to you as well like just all of the different interviews that you've been doing with genfinity and the way that you organize those things and including the community and stuff like top notch so i mean like i i had a blast like it was like being being in the top of the top of it was it was fantastic i it would have been really difficult for me to screw it up so i think i think that was great but i mean the, the the real interview I feel sometimes happens when it's over and everybody else is kind of listening and picking it apart and finding those insights. It's like you just can't do in the moment. So it was like seeing that reflected back, I was like, oh, wow. Like it was what you brought up with Danny Ede and, and Nick uh, Vitero, I think, commented on those things too. But just on that last um, portion of the interview that you highlighted, like the number one thing that stood out to me was like just a mic drop moment was, was when uh, – 
when Lehman said, this is going to make the industrial revolution look like it was in slow motion in reference to AI and kind of dropping that his background is in AI. And he's like, nah, like chatbot, blah, 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 whatever. Like we're talking robots that can mine, refine, manufacture, transport, do maintenance, send them out to Mars, build all the stuff for us. Like I was like, I was like, Jesus, man, like what, what are you not thinking about right now? And the, my favorite moment of the whole interview was after you were like, I don't know, I don't know where to go from here. Yeah, dude. Well, because we ran out of topics and we, you know what, know. it was pretty crazy because we, we didn't like, we had an hour with him. And if you watch back on that interview, like we pretty much exactly did like 58 or 59 minutes. So oh, like we 100%. got everything asked. It was crazy. You know, the other thing that I have to, that I really have to go back and listen to is his thoughts around the CBDC aspects. Um, and I hear like, I'm always interested in hearing synergy and thought from different people that have been there and done that in crypto that have worked with governments that have worked with like these legacy institutions that understand what's coming from CBDCs like Paolo Tasca and Lehman. They had a lot of synergy. If you go back and listen to both of those interviews, there's a lot of similar thought processes going on from Lehman and Paolo talking about the ways CBDCs might interoperate with, with these public ledgers um, and these crypto assets. And I thought that that was, I thought that that was a really interesting portion that I want to go back in and dive into so I can actually kind of understand um, the lack of security aspects or anything else. Like if you start interoperating with DLT, you want to interoperate with DLTs that are secure, uh, that are fast, that are transparent, that are, you know, X, Y, and Z that are cheap. So I want to go back and listen to that portion again too. Yeah. I mean, I did go back and listen to it and I actually pulled a couple quotes from this that I, that I found really um, interesting. I think you might find interesting too. I'm just going to read them here. I, just a couple of things. Lehman does such a great job of kind of unpacking some of these concepts. So just a couple quotes from him on that topic was he said, quote, I can speculate on what a CBDC might look like. The U.S. has the Federal Reserve, which is a set of banks with databases, computers that hold almost all the money in the country. The other money is paper. So your checking account is not holding dollars. It's holding IOUs. Your bank has an account at the Federal Reserve with a reserve requirement of a currently, and he chuckles, whopping 0%. Um, so he says, America has a kind of CBDC, which is a cluster of banks, but it's also not a CBDC. Right now, it's really painful to build on slash off ramps to crypto. You can't have a DEX that goes from crypto to dollars. If the country had a system that could interoperate with ledgers with wrapped dollars, things would be easy. They have server technologies in place. If a few computers go down, the system is okay but they probably don't have the ability to survive one of their computers being hacked and becoming malicious. If they were using a ledger, they'd get all of that security for free. People say we already have a CBDC, why tamper with it? No, what we really need is ledgers with interoperability or state proofs and better security than a typical database. The current system seems to be safe enough, why not make it safer? No country will build a CBDC on a public ledger, that would be silly. They wouldn't mint a token on Hedera for the U.S. dollar. Uh, and then he like, I think he just flippantly says like they should talk to Swirls Labs on providing guidance or something like that. But I was just like, just that right there, like just so simple and so obvious, but but painted that picture of like, yeah, that's probably what a CBDC is going to be like, you know. I totally agree. I mean, it was a, a similar thing that like Paolo kind of said the same stuff whenever um, I got the chance to talk to him and. 
he was basically saying like look none of these banks are running massive dev dev shops that can stand up (laughs) like ledgers and ecosystems so like they're interoperating whether that be a private version through like a private permission ledger that is just for the banks or a public permission list whatever it is um you start really kind of hearing that synergy between these people what lehman said that i thought was really interesting is like you know wrapping wrapping um you know national based fiat currencies and letting them interoperate with these kind of ledgers and ecosystems like it's it's a super common sense thing to say but usually like we think about like usdc and all these other aspects but like normal fiat like currencies are they're already digitized but there's going to be like a dlt version of the united states dollar at some point in time and it's probably going to be one of the last ones that comes out you know these tier one nations are going to be much more kind of on the back end of the stuff waiting for everybody else to do it and then just releasing it but they're going to interoperate with the ledgers some of the ledgers that we are already using and that we're already on and his viewpoints on that stuff was really interesting to me oh 100 and i mean switching gears like one of the one of the i think the big takeaways from that interview was um, the, the, the new insights regarding DRAC, you know, for those unfamiliar decentralized recovery, extending to decentralized custody, basically using kind of the Shamir sharing kind of thing, but then also new components that kind of put a new spin on it. You have helpers that have parts of your secrets and your keys, and it's very, very slick. Definitely look into it. But for those familiar, there was some kind of new information, um, that Lehman provided. And he basically said, um, there's a demo, source code, an API, libraries, a website. There's also an RFC draft to make this an internet standard that doesn't require TLS because each message is independently encrypted. And basically the key takeaway was like, right now, they're putting together the big media splash to announce it to the world. There's no date yet, but it does sound like it's getting definitely to that soon um, area, whatever that is. Um, and he even said behind the scenes, we're talking to other companies and even ledgers so that we can all do it together. It's not just a Hedera thing. This is something that our entire industry desperately needs. It's not about getting a bigger piece of the pie. It's about helping the pie grow. So kind of reflecting some of that language back at the community. Um, and then, you know, saying decentralized custody is coming after. Um, so helpers can sign a transaction for you. And, you know, he's mentioning other use cases, like not just your crypto keys, but it could be services like one password or stuff like that. And it could work for identity. So if you have your, your kind of like identity leveraging against zero knowledge proofs to, you know, ID at the bar and they don't have to know your exact age or see your photo, they just want to know if you're over a certain age. But if you lose your phone, this also, this, this infrastructure can help you recover your identity. Maybe your helper for your ideas, like the government or something, I don't know. Um, and apparently they're seeing a huge interest and something that stuck out for me huge here was we hope it is built into operating systems like iOS, Android, windows, and Mac. So having this be kind of like a system level protocol would be huge. But I mean, that aside, like my takeaway from that is, you know, in regards to just an infrastructure play, I mean, this is huge for the overall crypto ecosystem, but as a almost branding um, marketing play for Hedera and Swirls Labs and, and just v- visibility, like talk about mass adoption, like maybe there's a new pathway here. It's like if you think about mass adoption and having HBAR available in all the exchanges and pumping it and getting these TPSs jacked up and all these kinds of things, or 
this kind of highly visible contribution to a huge pain point in the overall crypto ecosystem. Like it's also very compelling just from that standpoint as well. So I don't know what your thoughts on the on the DREX stuff was, but I just I I'm super, super excited about it. Yeah, I mean, for me, I really like the, and I think that that DREC conversation started from, I think the question started from the framework of, the sh even if it didn't, it kind of delves into like the shared the shared worlds aspect, yeah, um, and like diving into different ecosystems and chains and everything else. Because at the end of the day, like there's there's a couple of really inherent problems for mass adoption in crypto. Um, I know Lehman did mention, you know. <laughs> I think he mentioned first and foremost lack of regulatory clarity. Um, yeah, yeah. What did he mention? Did he did he mention second security and and kind of? No, like no. I was like, oh, this is a really DREX really important. He's like, yeah. So I'd say number one is obviously regulatory stuff, yeah. like chuckling, and then he's like, number two is you know not losing your your private key. Yeah, yeah, and that's totally. I mean, that yeah. So that's totally what he's getting into here. And what I really like is like. You know, the, the opportunity for Hedera to bridge out into these other ecosystems in ways that make sense through like a shared initiative of like mass adoption and security. And if that comes through DREC and if that's the initiative that does it, I mean, that's fantastic because at the end of the day, like we need to see different ecosystems coming together. At the end, like I, I look at if you look at like like Ethereum, I don't think is going anywhere necessarily. Who knows? Um, but it's so in like EVM is so ingrained into so many different networks, so many different aspects, like, which I really kind of like was interested in the EVM equivalence aspects that we, that we asked them about as well, where it's like, how do you bolster up the Hedera network, but also like integrate EVM in ways that make sense, but highlights what Hedera is doing. But from the security standpoint, it opens up the doors to have conversations with not only like different layer ones, but almost like if you get enough, if you get a couple and you create that snowball effect for what DRAC represents, you can essentially reach out to pretty much all those layer ones. And then the if, if it's a standard within those layer ones, it almost like becomes a standard, obviously, for every project building on those layer ones. Like, And for us, like from the Genfinity purview, from my purview, I've, I've been trying to do the cross-chain stuff forever. Like it opens up the, the doors to start trying to reach out to these layer ones and saying, hey, you know, do you want to get into a discussion with Hedera or Lehman or whoever it is around DREC and figure out, uh, figure out if that works for your ecosystem and look at what they built here. And I'm really, I'm kind of just waiting for that initial rollout to try to like be like, this is really cool and start sending emails out or DMs and stuff like that. You guys should look at that from this ecosystem standpoint, figure out how you guys can work together. Like that's what I'm most interested in is trying to bring these networks together and i think this is the initiative that, that that can do it because everybody in every one of these ecosystems cares about how do we make security better how do we make custody uh, uh, custodianship better and how do we make that user experience when we do make it better seamless for the user so that we can onboard more people oh 100 and i mean not only is this a cross-chain thing like again lehman talking about passwords or even like uh, like your government identity or all those different types of processes that are really hard where effectively you are using types of helpers already to verify who you are. Can that process be made more efficient? So like it, I think it's even more far reaching than that as well. So it's like, it's a really common pain point, a common conversation topic that is a great launching pad for like, can we get a, get, get a little closer together? Can we go a little more cross chain, cross network kind of thing? Like that's huge. And I mean, on the DREX stuff as well, um, Mei Chen, CEO of Hashpack, put out a, a, a really interesting take on this. 
um, is, you know, I saw the, that I was actually going to go there. Yeah, I was wondering yeah. if you were going to mention that. Go, go there, dude. What are your thoughts on it? I mean, I like, I love the hashback guys. I love May. I love uh, Jacob. I love uh, Mark. All those guys are great. The way I read it is like, it comes down to user experience at the end of the day. But I do think that like, if it's done correctly, um, and Lehman did kind of uh, mention this as well, where it's like, you as a user don't necessarily have to be managing these things. You just have to have people that you can trust. And then the everything kind of gets sent or pinged from, from, from cell phones or data or whatever it is on the back end, where you're not having to do that work to make sure that your helpers are still your helpers. It, it's just like kind of happening automatically. If that's the case, I totally get it. And I, and I kind of, I, I get where Lehman is going with this. Um, but I get where May's going with this as well, because there's going to be a little bit of a road to build that functionality out to make it so automated and everything else. Um, I can see both ends of the spectrum, but I, I, I like an idea like that because it does make it, it still, it's, it keeps it to like a trust based network. Like, you know, and it doesn't have to be everybody in the trust pool, you know, that you that you totally have to depend on. So it's almost like a multi-sig, but just for your private key. And it's people that are friends or family, and it's automatically pinging them to make sure that they still have a portion, but nobody can see that portion. I really like the idea, but I get both ends of the spectrum. I don't know if I was even definitive in my response to what you asked me there, but I get what May's saying, but I also think I see a little bit of the bigger vision of what Lehman and the team behind DREC uh, are, are trying to accomplish here. A hundred percent. And I think too, like at the bare bones, like most people that use this product, you need a minimum of three people. It's like, it's going to be, you know, you're maybe a sibling, maybe your partner and like, you're like someone at work or something like it's, it's, and that's going to be a, that's going to be secure enough for most people. It's going to be better than having custody at an exchange and it's going to be better than just holding on to their private key and a piece of paper in their home. You know, it's, it's, there's, there, it's, it's a, it's, it's a spectrum of security really. And also too, like, I think a piece of the DREC story that kind of gets two pieces that kind of get glossed over is one, if folks remember, I think it maybe was last year or the year prior, Mance said that re I think it was in some interview or something where Mance said, Lehman's made a new discovery that's just as important as the hash graph algorithm. I don't know if folks remember that. I remember like talking about it nonstop on the show, but like, um, it, I, I think that it turned out to be direct. Like, I think that that kind of light bulb moment, you could argue when you look really big picture with this, the ramifications are massive. And also a second thing was Lehman talking about helpers as a service, right? Like when you need these helpers, if if you know this propagates as far as we think it's going to it's going to propagate like within crypto across hedera but across other networks and then outside of that into all sorts of other different use cases leveraging the api it could be businesses governments banks whatever having helpers as a service or whatever you want to call it that specialize in in kind of um the shared uh decentralized custody or recovery of your assets like that's going to be a whole new business model I thought of, I just thought of a really great question that we didn't ask during that interview around DREC that we should have asked. Um, and think about right now, not only from the security standpoint, what that represents, if it, you know, if it gains mass adoption and everything else, um, think about one of the major problems that everybody that is in crypto right now faces that has like a family, right? So I have a wife, I have kids. My wife doesn't really know a whole lot about crypto. I'm in here day in, day out, like, 
12, 15 hours a day most of the time. And if something happened to me, she would totally like I have all my everything written down. I've tried to show her how to do stuff. She'd be like lost and, and like a little bit screwed. Um, same thing with my kids. My kids are a little bit younger, so they don't really care about this stuff right now. They see what I'm doing. They understand the implications of it. But what that essentially does is, is if it's just an easy application or an easy service that you can use, it onboards more people into the crypto ecosystem like just by having that application where it's like, hey, I need to put this on your phone and our family is going to kind of have, you know, you guys are going to be my four helpers within our within our family. And you can go in, you can check and, and look at certain things within that, like a user interface aspect. Um, I think it's a it's a huge onboarding tool for, for crypto and Web3 as well, if it's done correctly, like that is actually going to uh, reciprocate not only from the security standpoint for mass adoption, but from people starting to feel like they're responsible for us for the people that are here um that are actually in this space every day like and that they're kind of helping us to make sure that our assets are safe so that because the, if, if our if our assets are safe and you have a family then their assets are safe and they start understanding how to use things they get interested in and in learning more i didn't even think about any of that stuff until like literally right now as you were talking and i think that's a mass potential like use case to, to start onboarding more users but just by be, having them be helpers and it's even the word helper, like it's a very human approach to this. Like the, I was kind of surprised when he was talking about the 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 direct stuff initially and framing it as helpers. Like I was like, oh, this is very like wholesome sounding. And and I think that's the approach that needs to be taken. It needs to, it reminds me of um, referencing like kind of like Apple and Steve Jobs, like when they were doing that that kind of new version of the iMac that was different colors and see-through and stuff and they put a handle on the back of the computer and it was kind of like well why are we putting a handle on a computer like no like they're going to put this on a desk it's a desktop and it's just about letting the customer know they're in control that they can Steve Jobs joked he's like we need them to know that they can pick it up and throw it out the window anytime they want they need to feel like they have control over it so it's like creating these systems and infrastructure and and experiences that give people that sense of control and truly give them that control, I think is going to make this space a lot more welcoming and, and usable and less scary for a lot of people. Cause I mean, technology is scary for enough, for enough of people, but um, something else that isn't scary uh, was the question that you asked Lehman about the network milestone type stuff. Um, and he talked about, Basically, like, yeah, we crossed 11 billion transactions, blah, blah, blah. And he said, we plan, we expect it to accelerate. It won't stay at this speed forever. So, and he also mentioned too, mirror nodes are going to a hierarchical system because things are growing rapidly. So like the, the language that was used there and kind of those two tidbits, like I saw kind of echoed in different conversations in the space. Um, on the mirror node front, the cascading uh, hierarchical kind of you know system they're working on, but then just that word accelerate, like Lehman being really firm in the fact that we're seeing two billion transact or a billion transactions every two weeks or whatever, um, that's going to accelerate. I think that got a lot of people excited. Uh, obviously, one transaction per second, I don't think is what he had in mind, but. Um, hey, we're up to. I'm, I'm watching it right now in real time at HederaTXNS.com, and we just bumped up to six. 
So we're starting oh, to make that slow climb back up to a thousand. We are, folks. We are. We're blistering now. We just. We just six axed, man. This is out of control. Well, I agree. Um, I mean, if you look at the mirror node aspects and what they represent, like, so essentially scaling that aspect out, and there's a lot. I don't know. From Hedera's standpoint, like, um, uh, you know, they want to, they want to make sure that obviously that the the, the the data is being relayed correctly and everything else, but like you would expect that to expand out i mean i would i would expect that to potentially expand out massively in the future and there's probably a lot of use cases and and different models within even that um to try to relay like the you know the actual nodes themselves so yeah it's crazy um and perfect ability i i'm gonna i'm gonna bring you up soon i just want to finish unpacking all this stuff just while i have uh just while i have ryan here because this is this is fantastic um there i want to touch on too just on that was the those comments by Danny Aid and uh, Nick Votero just on the kind of zero knowledge proof, um, state proof stuff? I just want to read through the exchange for people that maybe didn't see it. They had commented on one of my posts, kind of talking about a little snippet that they maybe have misheard, but also ties into some way. And I just wanted to to just kind of tie it up here because it is so fascinating. It's definitely outside of my frame of technical understanding, but I just think it's useful information just pulling out from it. Um, but again, they don't really know if it was misheard or, or, or misconstrued. It was just kind of pulling at threads. Um, so Danny said in the white paper, the, the Hashgraph white paper, state proofs are clearly mentioned, but zero knowledge is a new twist. And this refers to our questions uh, with with Lehman talking about scaling and different types of things. And he was kind of talking about new cryptography that the team was working on and zero knowledge proofs and 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 um, state proofs being sent from shards. And so that kind of mushed up in a bit of a soup. And so uh, Danny continues, it's the first time Lehman mentions the combination of both. Not being a dev myself, not sure why zero knowledge is required, um, maybe they could ask Lehman to elaborate on, on, uh, on the next, uh, interview. We probably should. Um, and then Nick says, Nick Votero says, um, it makes the size of the state proof even smaller, referring to zero knowledge, makes sharing easier and more efficient, pretty wild that they're combining the two technologies. The entire state proof can be represented and shared cryptographically. With everything else we've seen on the network, my guess is that this allows the data slash memory intensive state proofs to be offloaded onto the mirror nodes like other intensive processes. And then Danny responds, my mistake, Lehman only mentioned zero knowledge with regards to, to uh, decentralized identity. Um, so he quoted Lehman saying, we're continuing to work on state proofs and have actually invented new cryptography. We'll be publishing it soon. We have some great cryptographers and they have a proof of correctness for it. So next says, definitely heard it as combining state proofs and zero knowledge. So we don't quite know exactly what was said. Um, and then Danny says, for accuracy, I had to re-listen to the podcast. New cryptography is definitely groundbreaking, but does not necessarily mean zero knowledge. Um, so just wanted to make sure he's being accurate. And then what I inferred kind of from that back and forth and kind of not really being clear on it was like, could the proof of correctness Lehman speaks of just be a more op, you know, optimal alternative to zero knowledge and how state proofs could be shared and represented cryptographically, allowing, again, as Nick said, the, the memory intensive state proofs to be offloaded to the mirror nodes? Like it's a rabbit hole. And it's exactly like you said, like Lehman says like four words. And now, now like 
heads are spinning, not really knowing like what that's about. I don't know if you kind of seen that exchange, like what your thoughts were on it, but I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely getting outside of my my technical wheelhouse, like proof of correctness. No idea what that is. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm I'm kind of doing a little bit of digging right now. Like, I've heard of state proofs through Hedera before, but I'm also not a dev. But um, I'll read this real quick. In a typical, uh, typical decentralized ledger, if you need to cryptographically verify that a particular fact about that ledger, like a transaction or a balance, is true, then you basically need to run the entire blockchain and validate the blockchain from Genesis till the point of when you are interested in validating. Um, with state proofs, Hedera has defined an innovative way to provide a cryptographic proof for the blockchain where any consensus node in the Hedera network can provide a portable proof that can be cryptographically verified and trusted, even if you don't trust the node. So you're essentially trying to get proof that something existed, a transaction occurred, something happened on Hedera in a way where you don't have to run everything from inception up until your point of interest. So the trust in the state proof is derived from the trust in the supermajority of the stake of Hedera nodes. Um, I think what's occurring here is like, and I, whoever said that, you know, we, most of the time we hear ZKP or zero knowledge proofs being uh, talked about with, with identity where it's like, you don't have to know, maybe there's certain situations where you don't have to know that I'm a man and you don't have to know that I'm, you know, 30 some years old, whatever my exact age is. You don't have to know that I live in the city, but you do have to know, that I have a Toyota, I drive a Toyota. And it's like the minimal amount of information necessary to accomplish whatever your task or your goal is. And you can scale the, the zero knowledge proof stuff. Yeah, it's like, can you, what, how, how many things can you turn into just a yes or no answer? It's like the bank, the bank going, do you make over X amount a year? Yes or no, kind of. Yep. And that's exactly what, how I look at like the zero knowledge proof stuff. And there's so much that that can be integrated into the majority of the stuff that we hear it being integrated into is digital identity. Um, but I think it's really smart to hear Lehman say that they're, they're looking at that in a way to like validate what's occurred on the network. Um, whether that be state proofs and mirror nodes, whatever it might be, but looking at different use cases of zero knowledge proofs is basically what I took from that statement. And if they're looking at it in that regard, from one aspect, they're probably looking at it in more that we didn't even ask about. So, Oh, I think it's, I can totally see what, what Nick is outlining is like, if you use kind of that zero knowledge proof kind of methodology, like you do offload a lot of heavy lifting from the state proofs to the, to the actual mainnet. But like when Lehman says that proof of correctness, like it sounds kind of like what you're describing without having to go back to the genesis of the network and, and, and verify everything. It's like, that sounds like proof of correctness, and it sounds like Lehman was presenting that as an element of this new cryptography they're developing in relation to state proofs. So it's kind of like, is it a state proof with proof? Like, are we going to hear Lehman going like, we're launching state proofs, and it uses this new, you know, uh, proof of correctness that we developed, and it's this new thing. Like, it, it, it totally seems like that could be the case. That's uh, that's what that's what I took from it, anyways. Um. The other, the other interesting thing was um, just before we move on here, so I want to get into the weather, the uh, the Reddit report. I almost said the weather report. It's kind of, it is kind of like the quick, weather report. Real quick, because I just caught this again, Brandon. What? What? So when you talk, th this is really interesting to me. And every time that you talk, I think about something that I haven't thought about before. So like 
when I initially interviewed Hasker back in 2020, I asked about I asked about real TPS and and, and transactions per second. So it seems like Hedera is consistently interested in optimizing network capabilities and user experience. Because when I had that first interview, Christian was like, "Why would we scale TPS if we don't need to scale TPS?" And now that we're talking about state proofs and zero knowledge proofs and all these other aspects and integrating them into multiple aspects. So most people don't realize like, and this is why Ethereum is expensive for them, you know, in a very sim- simplified way, like Ethereum is, it's a, it's, it's touring complete. So when you're, when you're making a transaction on Ethereum, you're essentially using the entire network of Ethereum to make that transaction. Um, it's, and I've kind of a, like, I've made the analogy where it's like, if I want to buy a candy bar, when I want to buy a candy bar through Ethereum, I have to, every single step that I take down to my car, turning on my car, driving down the gas that's used, walking into the store, buying the candy bar, coming back home, unwrapping the candy bar candy bar, and eating it, where it's like with the ZKP stuff, integrating that into different aspects of Hedera, it's like, well, I just want the candy bar. So what does it take for me just to get the candy bar? And that I think is a really interesting thing with zero knowledge stuff where it's like, I just want to do this. What can I, what, what is the minimum amount of bandwidth and, you know, actioning that I need to do to just do this action. And, and that's, it's really interesting. I'm sorry. I know that's like, like really nerdy. No, to- no. hundred Like what it makes me feel like too, is the same kind of vibe of like the, the gossip about gossip and virtual voting type of thing where it's like, turns out the solution is just doing nothing. They just do a fake vote and there's, there it is. And it's like these innovations that we see when we push the boundaries are sometimes beyond what originally is conceptualized. So it's like, I, I, my brain is still obsessing over that kind of like proof of correctness thing and what we're going to hear around that. I think that's kind of what's really, I think that's the lead that's kind of buried here is like, They've developed new cryptography, proof of correctness. Like, what is going on there? Um, and the last thing I wanted to touch on just before we go to the Reddit report was um, when when Lehman was talking about the shared world stuff, um, you know, I, I asked him straight up. I was like, I mean, technology's changed a lot. Like, has it impacted the vision of shared worlds? Has, it, has that vision expanded? Has it changed? And he's kind of like, yeah, it's changed since the last time we presented it obviously. Um, and he kind of really summarized it. So he crystallized the shared world's um, vision and concept into like two sentences that, that I just pulled from the interview. That's so great. He said, it's going to be important that ledgers be able to send each other messages that contain verifiable proof of consensus. Once you have that capability, it becomes incredibly easy to send assets automatically between ledgers without bridges. So again, be able to quickly do those, as he's referring to kind of like between shards and networks, like those state proofs that leverage something similar to like a zero knowledge proof or whatever the proof of correctness or whatever it is. It's like be able to do that quickly and stuff like that just seems crazy. And he's like, we're hopefully going to see an ABFT ledger universe of private, public and hybrid ledgers. So it's like, Again, like the same kind of like sending robots to Mars kind of thing. It's like Lehman is thinking from a much higher level, I think, than most of us in the ecosystem and definitely very like somewhat of a departure from existing networks. But then again, with the DREX stuff and everything, it shows how important all those other networks are. So it's 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 just there's so much there. He's covering so much ground with that. 
Um, but yeah, on the shared world stuff and the forward looking statements he gave, like, as you said, like it, it's, it's just crazy. And I mean, before I move on the show here, like just, just on that, like, were there any other things now that we've kind of talked about it that kind of pop into your mind or kind of like what, maybe like, what would be your follow-up questions for Lehman? <laughs> this, uh, some of the stuff that we were talking about in this space. <laughs> yeah. to get him onto a 30 minute <laughs> chat and be like, cause you know, I don't start thinking of these things cause I'm all, I'm trying to do future interviews and everything else. And it's always so crazy. And we're, you're, you're in the same boat. I mean, trying to stay on top of just the, the newest news and stuff. But when you start talking about these things, like the questions that we were starting to think about now and understanding they're going to start to do kind of a spaces or a podcast or something around, a wider array of like topics is really interesting to me. And I'm, I, I want to support that. And I definitely want to get him on again, even for like maybe a little follow-up at some point, maybe I'll have to message uh hash pack and see if, uh, if we can get him on for a follow-up uh, again in the future, but we'll have to, you know how busy that guy is too, man. It was crazy to be able to sit down for an hour with that guy. Cause that doesn't, that stuff doesn't like happen all the time. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, Anytime you see Lehman or Mance on something, it's like, oh my God, you just, it's, you hit the nail on the head. It's like hearing him talk about stuff that isn't Hedero related is almost more interesting because it's so fresh. And something he brought up was that he and Mance want to do those fireside chats. And um, one of the other stories today was Mance's video he sent to the community. I'm sure everyone has seen it. It's the same as Lehman's where it's like, hey, H Barbarians, you know, shout out you know, whatever. But he said, we'll see you soon. So I don't know what that means. I think it may be, um, in regards to that new, like fireside chat series that he and Lehman want to do that seems really interesting to me. It's just the two of them talking about like whatever topics. So that'd be interesting. But, um, I mean, shout out to Mance. Thanks for the, thanks for the shout out or whatever. But, uh, yeah, King Solomon, was there any uh, any anything else you wanted to touch on real quick before uh, we move on here? No, man, um, just really appreciate um, whenever I, out, uh, you know, sent you the outreach to come onto that space is, um, or know that we do things like really kind of finite and formulated and try to make sure we nail down topics and stuff. And huge uh, thank you to you. Uh, you absolutely killed it during that spaces and just wanted to reach out and say thanks for the help, man. So. Hey, really appreciate it. I mean, you're making it sound like I'm doing you, a, I did you a favor, but I mean, I'm so grateful for the opportunity, humbled. I mean, it's been a, a dream of mine just being like a hashgraph enthusiast to like interview Lehman and stuff. So like huge opportunity, like thank you, man. And like all the stuff you're doing with Genfinity, like great opportunity down anytime, name the place. I'll be there. Really appreciate it, man. 100% bro keep it going man these spaces uh if you don't follow brandon if you're not in these spaces normally i'm going to share it right now he does these every sunday um they're really concise they give you a good overview of what's going on in the hedera ecosystem i uh, always recommend giving brandon a follow give pixel rugs a follow too if you're interested in the uh the project work that he's doing as well so uh i'm gonna hop down to listener and i'm gonna share the space and uh yeah thanks man happy yeah, father it. happy happy father's day to anybody that's a that's a real dad out there so Hell yeah. Shout out to the real ones. Love it. All right. Cheers, man. Okay. On to the Reddit report. We're going to figure out what's going on. I think I can safely guess what's on top of everyone's mind right now, but the Reddit report is basically, I've got perfect ability who is, uh, 
who, who he's he's kind of like top dog on the Hedera subreddit, and the Hedera subreddit is a group of like I think it's like well over thirty thousand H barbarians over there, hashgraph enthusiasts sharing news and everything. So, what's going on, man? Like, uh, what's on everyone's mind? Um, well, the first thing we got, and it kind of transitioned nice because you mentioned it um, before, is uh, Mance's uh, message to um, to the community. And uh, what he said on Twitter was a huge thank you to the HBARN community that has brought Hedera where it is today. It still amazes me to see how far we've come, and I am beyond excited to see where you will take us in the future. And I got that right here. Hello, HBARBarians. We were just reflecting this morning about how far we've come over the past five years. We have 29 council members. Uh, I remember when we started this with the first five council members at the Signal Hotel in Seoul years ago. We've come so far, and we could not have done this without you. Thank you for having come with us on this journey, and um, we look forward to seeing you soon. There's that uh, see you soon um, that you mentioned. Yeah, I don't I don't know what he's talking about. It's like it's it's so funny, but uh, that's great. Yeah, well, um, on you guys' interview, and by the way, the, um, that was really awesome. Like you and King Soul just like killed it. Um, I really liked um, the aspect of having like two people interview somebody because you just get like so many like good questions, you know, because your brain works differently than you know King Soul. So you guys really uh, together like just asked some really amazing questions. So that was. Oh, I think honestly, it's like. We've been on each other's show so much. We have a great chemistry just chatting, but then also it's like, yeah, it so much of your brain has to, you have to be like doing so many things in your brain at once. So being able to tag team an interview is so great because as the other person's working through their stuff, you're almost kind of like digesting what's going on and it, it works, it works so well. So it's like, it, I'm a huge fan of those tag team interviews. I think it's great. Same here. Um, then we have a tweet that uh, Mark Cuban said that was interesting. He said, and I quote, my entire career has been telling or my entire career has been people telling me why the companies I started were ridiculous and not needed until they found themselves using them. Smart contracts are about six years old. Maybe the name isn't accurate, but the utility is valid. 90% of blockchain companies will go broke. 99% of tokens will go broke, just like 99% of early internet companies did. 99% of the startup companies leveraging LLMs will disappear, but the winners will be game changer. That's the way tech works. And um, you know who said something similar to that in 2017? <laughs> who, who was that? Um, let's see. Typically, the history of any kind of market is that you have this enormous springing up of thousands and thousands of companies, and then you have a crash, and then you get down to three or four whatever big companies that continue on. There, and that's the way every revolution tends to happen. I'm sure we'll see the same pattern here. I just love how clutch he is. Um, and if you do some numbers, um, it's a really interesting thing. So let's take what Lehman said. He said three or four big names remain, all right? So let's just call it five. So there's you know five crypto uh, left. And we've heard read predictions of total future value of crypto market being anywhere in the ballpark from five trillion to two hundred and fifty trillion. Um, so let's be a little conservative, um, and let's say the uh, crypto market in the future is going to be you know with those five uh, ten trillion dollars, um, ten trillion dollars divided by the five remaining crypto uh, cryptocurrencies. Um, so let's say about. Uh, approximately two trillion of each 
um, you know, as valuation. So if you take two trillion, you divide by fifty billion coins, you get H bar at forty dollars. By, by the way, I just want I just want to point out like one of the things I love about the Hedera community is like how in general like how unfazed we are about stuff. Like we're literally like witnessing a crisis on the mainnet. We're like. Yeah, H bar forty dollars. Yeah, sounds about right. It's <laughs> so good. Like, what the hell's going on? Don't want to be super moon boy, but um, yeah, you know, course, like, I course. believe that um, Hadera will be one of those companies, those three or four that Lima mentioned. And you know, if we take just you know those numbers, um, it's just, you know kind of exciting just to see like what you know it could become. So I thought that was pretty interesting to share. Um, Next, we have the uh, Coinbase that short, uh, showcased a project built on Hedera called Acor. And I thought that was really cool because usually Coinbase, they just, you know, like they're always like shilling like shit coins or, you know, um, so it was really, you know, like a breath of fresh air um, to see them, you know, um, promote an actual, you know, good project. And the CEO, Jim Nasser had a few words. He says, thank you, Coinbase, for your interest in our work and how blockchain and DLT can practically used in healthcare solutions. And I got the video right here. This is what uh, Coinbase uh, played. I'm trying to get this video to load. Uh, yeah, I can't get that, unfortunately. But uh... That's okay. You know what? I'll edit, uh, we'll, we'll do, like, on the recording, I'll, like, edit it in so it just sounds seamless. So I'll, ed I'll edit it in. It all, it's all good, dude. You're the man. You're the man. Hi, I'm Jim. I'm the founder of Acor. We're using blockchain technologies to verify health data. So as someone who has worked in public health, I can tell you honestly, our health data is a mess. It's fragmented, siloed, and often not even digitized. Public health organizations are really missing important information that could lead to improved population-wide outcomes. With Acor Technologies, health organizations can cryptographically verify data access and exchange, as well as prove the authenticity of the data source. By making more data readily available to public health systems, we are improving the return on our resources, as well as the impact on the public health system. Let's move on. Uh, this is really cool. Um, and this is a breadcrumb, but uh, there is a, a post that uh, Idemia uh, posted recently on Twitter, or yeah, on Twitter, um, about them uh, doing a uh, collaboration with the uh, Bank of England on their CBDC. Um, so uh, the central bank digital currency um, from a leak um, that happened that uh, we got, I think uh, Coindesk is the one that uh, obtained the leak. But the central bank digital currency must be usable offline from day one to safeguard privacy. Uh, the draft law says, uh, quote, the digital euro shall be available for both online and offline digital euro payment transactions as the first insurance of the digital euro. For offline transaction, neither the European Central Bank nor the payment services providers will gain access to personal transaction data through banks who distribute the currency can send financial crime authorities details on how accounts are funded if they suspect money laundering um so i i uh i'd mia i demia or am i saying this right i Ademia. is it uh i think it's like idemia or something Ademia. I think it's Ademia. um they specialize in uh, offline payments um and in one of their videos uh they mention uh hedera which is really cool and hopefully this will work Imagine a world where stablecoin payments can be at the forefront of financial inclusion. Straits X stablecoins 
leverage Edenia's technical capabilities and redemption on the Hedera ledger Edenia. to offer offline payments, driving financial inclusion, higher payment efficiency, and savings on environmental costs. So that could be, you know, they could be leveraging uh, Hedera for their offline payments. Uh, they did mention before, uh, this is pulled from a video that uh, Idemia shared, uh, how long ago? Six months ago. Oh, is this the one where they where you like do the retina scan or whatever to get your, um, is that like the KYC or whatever? No, no, uh, this one, the title is Idemia's Secure Offline Payment Solution for CBDCs and Stablecoin. Interesting. Yep. Um, so, and if you keep going and, um, uh, I don't know if you guys uh, heard they mentioned uh, Hedera, then StraightX. And uh, for those not familiar with StraightX, uh, it's a Singapore parliamentary stablecoin backed one-to-one that leverages Idenia and Hedera. Um, so, you know, another, um, uh, you know, uh, potential uh, CBDC um, in uh, Singapore. So, you know, we have one with Idenia and um, with the Bank of England. They're doing a pilot there. We have one in uh, Singapore uh, with uh, StraightX. And we also have, if you keep digging, uh, we can also find that Japan Central Bank, um, Idemia, and SoftSpace launched a JCBCDC pilot to test CBC payment solution and conduct tests with Tokyo merchants. Um, they didn't mention Hedera, but with the track record that we've seen you know, with uh, the Bank of England, Singapore, um, you know, see, I can feel that maybe a little optimistic that there possibly could be a connect there with Hedera. Um, and there's also um, a few other things that we can look at, uh, you know, uh, with breadcrumbs in regards to Adenia. Um, JCBD, the Japanese card payment network, announced a central bank digital currency, CBDC proof of concept, uh, you know, JCBC with Adenia and the Malaysian fintech soft space, the Aim is to demonstrate that CBDC can be used with the existing payment cards and payment infrastructure. So that's another uh, use case that they're testing out in Japan. And Ademia has been awarded a $120 million contract to deploy the TSA's next-gen credential authentication technology, CAT2. Uh, CAT2 enhances security screening, plus enables a touchless experience through biometric technology plus digital ID acceptance. I think that's the video you were mentioning, Brandon. Right, um, right, okay. Yeah, and um, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna drop um, on the comments here. Uh, I did a thread on Twitter uh, or on Twitter with um, all these uh, like breadcrumbs, and uh, I think they're you know definitely um, worth to look at if you got some time. Um, and then another one is the Missouri becomes the first state to allow users to remotely renew their driver's license or ID card in a pilot with mobile ID from Idemia. In partnership with the Missouri Department of Revenue, the app allows residents to manage their identity securely plus easily from a phone. Um, how does how is that related to Hedera? Um, I'm not 100% sure, but uh, in the comment that I'm going to drop below, I found some um, some patents that uh, with Idemia and um, Hedera um, and um, yeah, so they're definitely interesting. So there could definitely be something there. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much all I got for the Reddit report. Uh, right you guys pretty much talked about a lot of the stuff I wanted to talk about. So so yeah, like I think we're a Gucci. Right on. I love it, man. Well, that that's some good stuff. And I mean, 
um in regards to like that the the, the idemia stuff like i remember it, it it flew under my radar quite a bit so hearing yeah hearing all those pieces put together and 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 kind of illustrating those breadcrumbs um i really I, it's it's definitely an interesting use case i think I know there's there's definitely different feelings around CBDCs and stuff, but I think the offline component, um, you know, offline crypto payments alone is just super, super compelling and really something that's going to be required as being able to have DLTs interface with stuff offline um, to replace cash just in general. So I love that. Well, really, really appreciate it, man. And uh, any uh, shout outs or anything you want to say just before you hop off? Uh, yeah, you know, happy Father's Day to all your amazing fathers out there. And uh, shout out to you for, uh, you know, doing this space every Sunday. And, uh, you know, like uh, we were able to like, you know, get a lot of knowledge and, you know, learn from each other. So thank you. Love, love it. it. Really appreciate it, man. Take care. Um, and I mean, perfect ability. I mean, he's like, we, we just started doing this new segment because the the reddit stuff was so um insightful and i mean just been an absolute pleasure the segment's been getting tighter and tighter and um we've got like he's playing recordings now and stuff so i think it's great so huge shout out to you man um i know i want to talk about some hash pack stuff today so um pluto i see you down there if you want to pop up feel free um but uh yeah i mean like the limit interview all that stuff i mean it's again, it's so funny just highlighting it again that the same week that, you know, after years, I finally get to interview Liam and is the week that the network's down at one transaction per second. It's just, it's rocking my brain. It's so crazy. I'm so hype, but then also so like freaked out generally, just as anyone would be. It's just never, never a dull moment. We do have an update though, in regards to the, uh, the one transaction per second um, quibble. From Justin Atwell from from Swirls, he says uh, in response to somebody else sharing their concerns, he says nothing to be worried about. Uh, and this is the um, what's Justin's title at at uh, at um, oh Hedera, uh, sustainability lead for Hedera. So obviously Amio is a sustainability play, right? And I you know I don't think we have anything to worry about. I mean the only thing that that you know makes this worth highlighting is. Atma regularly will spin down their transactions by like 98% because they need to top up the account that pays for those transactions. And I think it's a regular thing that happens. No cause for alarm. This time around, it was just like seeing it go completely off was like strange. Um, but I mean, there's no, there's, I, I'm not seeing any alarm bells going off. So I think we just wait it out. We see what's going on. Enjoy the, you know, you know, the, the, what we do is we enjoy the nostalgia, right? Single digit TPS that takes me back to 2022, takes me back to 2021. You know, it's just feels like yesterday. I'm feeling nostalgic. Um, but Hashpack has some new stuff coming in the form of, a new main menu option called advanced tools. And there's one new thing there called deep links. And I didn't know a ton about deep links. Um, I thought it was just deep links, but it turns out it's very, very deep links. You can do a lot with it. I've got uh, Tyler from Hashpack up here. I'm really curious. So like deep links are basically a new way for anyone to share a link, let's say on Twitter. And if someone clicks that, 
it can open Hashpack. Let's say I want to share a link to like, um, you know, a, a, a listing on Zeus Marketers or Sentinex or something. And it's like link on Twitter, they open it and it jumps right to that da right to that page in their Hashpack. That seems super cool. Um, but I'm curious, like, what else is going on this deep link stuff? I'm I'm really curious. Like, lay it out for us, man. Hey, hey, Brandon. Nice to nice to be on again. Um, yeah. So deep links. Um, it's it's been kind of a recurring theme that we've noticed where uh, a lot of like <clears throat> DAP creators and like NFT creators and stuff have been trying to like share like launches they're doing or like pages in their dap and uh especially on mobile it can be a bit um unwieldy to kind of uh direct people to these to these pages like you have to go to the dap browser open it up in in the dap browser then navigate to the page um especially on ios because we're not allowed to to link out to any uh platforms that have nfts on ios so you have to like man manually type the URLs into the, the DAP browser. Um, so this, this system is sort of to streamline that, that kind of interaction where uh, like a, somebody can generate one of these links and, and share it. And once the user clicks on it, it goes directly into Hashpack into that, uh, the page on the DAP that they specify. Um, it's super powerful. Uh, it, it's kind of a bit, it, it, it is under the advanced tools for a reason. So you kind of have to know what you're doing to want to do something like this. But um, yeah, I think going forward, it will really kind of uh, streamline some of these interactions that uh, creators have with their communities. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, and it also depends kind of how deep you want to go. I mean, just in general, a project being able to share like, Hey, you know, check out our DAP on Hashpack. Click this link, and it and it just jumps into the person's Hashpack, brings them to the DAP. Like that's pretty cool. But then also, you mentioned to me like if you have let's say a particular trading pair on a Dex that you're trying to build liquidity for or something, you could deep link directly to that pool or something like that. It's it definitely gets your brain thinking about like sending people kind of directly where you want them to go the same way you would kind of like with a website. And, and it, I, I think it's, I think it's really useful. I can definitely see the utility in it. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so this, this is kind of like the, the version one release of it. Um, so right now you can link to the hash pack store page, a specific store item or, or a DAP. Um, and the, the caveat here is, the DAP does have to be listed in in the Hashpack DAP, DAP browser, um, and that's for security reasons. So you're not just like people aren't just linking to like sketchy stuff. Um, it, it does have to be whitelisted in that that kind of DAP browser page, um, and that's that's basically a security measure around that. Yeah, that, that's awesome. That makes sense because that's a huge component to this too. Is like you don't want like random links going out, so having it be an app that's already been approved for the, uh, the DAP, um, tab like that, that's important. But I mean, like, I, you know, I don't want to push you too much further, but it's like, what really stood out to me is there's a main menu item called advanced tools and there's one thing in it, obviously more stuff is coming. So is this kind of, um, is this kind of a way for Hashpack to start branching out to some of these, I guess you could call advanced tools like creator tools or different things like that is, 
is are we going to start seeing like a new kind of arm of hash pack start to expand these kind of advanced tools? Is it going to be a pretty large scope? Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, so one one of the kind of tricky parts of Hashpack is uh, we, we use the same code base for uh, like the web app extension and the mobile apps. And uh, the UI is getting a bit it, it, claustrophobic. Uh, so we needed somewhere to kind of put some of these things that we've been working on. So like we, we have a bunch of kind of advanced little tools that we use in in our like dev uh uh, dev builds. So like there's, there's, <laughs> I don't want to give too much away, but there, there's some cool stuff that, that we have. Hey, built. Don't worry. It's, 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 it's just us and a couple of our, of our close friends. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, you know, you, you can use your imagination, maybe, uh, some, some advanced kind of blockchain tools, you know, if, if anyone has any ideas for, for something that they'd love to see, uh, reach out and, and let us know what we could put in here because uh, yeah we're, we're open to a lot of things but yeah it's, it's, one of the the kind of ways we're going to be expanding this deep link thing is so like even even associating tokens can be a bit of a pain right so like we're going to eventually like enable linking directly to like an associate page maybe maybe some sort of airdrop something here or there uh maybe Maybe who knows? Even some way to like uh, earn some H bar through your wallet. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But uh, yeah, yeah, lots of cool things coming. Um, <laughs> keep an eye on it. Okay, interesting. So just on just pulling that thread a little bit. So when you're saying like an, a, a, a token auto or uh, um, association or something like that, like are you thinking in the context of like just a general, like almost like. Um, URL string where it's like if you click it, it just auto fit. Like if you're like associate this token and they click it, it just brings them to the token association screen with the token ID auto filled, and they can just click the button and do it. Or is it even deeper than that? It basically that um, it's it can just get kind of old sometimes to have to explain to people how to associate a token, you know. Um, so having like just a, a easy direct way to to get them to do that is uh, kind of what that would be for, yeah. That's handy. All right, man. I, I dig it. That's uh that's really, really interesting. Was there anything uh you wanted to to share with with folks just before I uh continue on with the show here? Um not off the top of my head. Uh I think we have some exciting stuff happening this week. So uh keep your eyes out for that. But maybe maybe next week I can <laughs> talk about that a bit if you want. Oh yeah. Anytime. I mean, I'm just so happy to see the, you know, the wallet ecosystem growing and stuff like that. I think that there's a there's a great again to bring up Steve Jobs again. It just reminded me like I'm seeing that something really healthy in the ecosystem is competition. Like now that we're starting to see this ecosystem mature, like we're actually starting to see, especially in the wallet space, like a lot of these new approaches to to solving problems, user experience, um, even just kind of how business is done, and it's like. Um, this, this kind of Steve Jobs story that popped in my mind, just looking at the wallet space right now is like when he would, when, when Steve Jobs was a kid, there was a neighbor that he had that would tumble rocks and basically put regular rocks in with a little solution, tumble it overnight and they'd come out really smooth. So I'm just, I, I feel like as you know, again, competition, or I like to call it kind of like coopetition where it's almost like collaboration, cooperation, competition. It's like, 
I'm just seeing wallets and dexes and, and, and just kind of rubbing up against each other. It's not always the easiest process, but like just continually getting more and more polished. Um, so I just, I love seeing, you know, hash pack, never resting on the laurels, always kind of addressing customer needs, focusing on the users and stuff. So a huge shout out to you guys and just like this growing wallet ecosystem. Really appreciate it, man. Cool. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. And, and you're right. It is, it is exciting. Um, everybody's kind of pushing in different directions and then pulling the others along in that way a little bit too, you know? Um, so it's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. But, uh, thanks for having me on and, uh, yeah, have fun with the rest of the show. Right on. Cheers, man. Okay. So we got a, we got a bit more to blast through everybody. I mean, we got a lot going on this week. I mean, we, I wanted to make sure to take that time to recap the Lehman stuff, everything like that. So if you haven't already yet, give the, the show a share, give the spaces a share, buckle in a little bit. We have a bit more to go, um, a bit more to talk about. I want to dive into something, um, a little juicy, not a lot to talk about, but definitely an unfolding story that has been told over years. If any kind of like, if anyone was in the NFT ecosystem on Hedera at the very beginning, a very prominent project was Access, spelled with a V instead of an A. Um, really cool brand, great concept, cool artwork. They had these metacores that would unlock different capabilities within the platform that were very vague. Long story short, millions of dollars were spent. The platform didn't do so well. It never really launched. The blame was put to inefficiencies with the network. Quite a few things didn't add up. Um, a lot of the blame, rightfully so, being placed on CEO um, Dill and... Really, it was one of those situations where a lot of people in the space kind of gave up on it. A lot of people felt like they had lost a ton of money, even though there was constant reassurance that um, things were there. And and to be frank, it just it it fit the story arc of every single kind of um, kind of failure at this scale that we've seen across all sorts of different networks. And that was kind of it, right? And. I mean, we'd hear about it here and there, but there was really nothing happening. And I mean, always open to having anyone access on the show. I mean, it'd be great to kind of figure out what's going on objectively. So, I mean, my DMs are open. But Garrett Little on Twitter tweets the following. He says, ex-chief of staff for NXOS, and, and NXOS is kind of, I guess, the parent company of access. I don't know. It's very confusing. My brain already hurts. He says, I'm raising my voice about access. I have filed a lawsuit versus Dill and Alex Oak and the two companies. I am reaching out to media outlets as well. I'm ready to share documents, conversations, anything and everything to blast them. So quickly he was advised to, you know, file for whistleblower protection or whatever with OSHA and like everything like that. So that's, a, that's an unfolding story, but it does seem like it, it, there, it, this was a very substantial kind of um, moment in the ecosystem, right? It was, could very well, I don't think it still is, but I mean, you know what? It could very well still be technically like one of the biggest NFT mints ever in the ecosystem yet, right? Millions of dollars, um, all that kind of stuff. And we do know that they they were NFTs that were minted on the mainnet, but the problem is, is they were, it was done in a custodial fashion. People couldn't offload their fiat. They couldn't 
gain custody of their NFTs, all that different type of stuff. Again, very huge moment in the ecosystem, very difficult moment in the ecosystem. It kind of passed us by. There's new news around it. This tweet um, shows that we might see some new updates or revelations. So just bringing it to people's attention. I mean, it's a bit of a nightmare situation for for many, but we've got some uh, some new news kind of. Um, quickly, just to bring it back to the Lehman stuff, Lehman also did a talk at uh, Proof of Talk. And I'm not going to go into any details or any specifics. There was nothing really of note to share. I just want to make a general comment on Lehman. I mean, having just interviewed him and seeing him kind of in this context, it's like, I really think that like he doesn't on the surface, he's not often thought of as a public speaker, right? He's, you know, he's a very kind of like low key guy, but just seeing him again, it's like, the guy is one of the best public speakers and especially seeing him on a panel, like um, he doesn't suffer anybody. Like there's a side to this guy that he can just plow through. Uh, like if, if someone's opinion is clearly like not in alignment with his and he's certain that he has a high conviction that he's correct, he will literally just steamroll over somebody and you're like, and and also too some of the ways he can like take in some information and conversations and reframe it and anyways i just think that like as a crypto founder like especially after lehman and mance kind of going dark for a little bit there and and seeing a reemergence and 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 kind of in the public speaking component um i mean just being reminded like this this guy is top of the top like you put him up against any crypto founder and he's like top notch. Like you could put him up against like Charles or Vitalik or any of those guys. And it's like really top notch. So, I mean, just was reminded of that recently. I wanted to highlight it on the show. It's pretty great. Um, but I mean, I, I, when I was interviewing him, I joked about that he doesn't tweet and that I like it. I mean, it would, it would be really cool to see Lehman tweeting more. I think that like those insights and that personality and that brand is great. But I mean, why ruin a great thing? We don't have a crypto founder arguing on Twitter. I, it's not a horrible thing. Christian Hasker tweets out uh, on the 14th that he is at the governing council meeting and it's happening now. And I'm really curious about that one in particular because remember, <coughs> it's off the back of an in-person governing council meeting. So the governing council members are fresh off three days of being like, with each other, communicating, collaborating, getting a month break to digest information, and then coming back for a meeting. I I do have a feeling that this one is going to be a very interesting one to see. Um, it feels like it's a bit of a recap, a reconnection, a looping back on things. So it'll be really interesting to see what's going on. Saucer Swap uh, is letting everyone know that they're about to transcend. They're about to transcend, folks, and I and they're not. Um, doing anything cheeky. They're just saying, listen, that we're, we're transcending on July 15th um, or yeah, July. So, I mean, shout out to uh, the aliens. I going back to the mothership or the cows or something. I mean, what I think it's about is I know that saucer swap was tweeting their sauce pro plan. We talked about it on the show previously, very similar to like something like a Coinbase would have or something. We've seen quite a few crypto 
projects offer a subscription-based premium service, much in alignment with what we're used to on Web2. Obviously, their offering would most likely be paid in Sauce. It's called Sauce Pro. Why not? Um, and it appears like that will be launching mid-July. I don't know what else they would be teasing. I mean, if it's something else, I mean, dope. I think it's Sauce Pro. That's my thoughts. If I'm wrong, Larry, give me a shout. Um, let me see what's going on. I was going to talk about the Michael Garber tweet. I mean, I feel bad. I did this to Justin too. I think the whole ecosystem does this sometimes. These guys like Justin uh, and and Michael, like from Hedera or from Swirl, so these guys that work there, right, that are devs or just like management or like whatever it is, what they'll, they'll send out these tweets that are in response to something expressing like genuine human excitement, right? Um, and when I read them or when the community reads them, we read them as though they're reacting to something else, right? Some other type of information that we may not know about. And um, it's something I'm going to try to be more mindful of. Um, these guys don't have like PR backgrounds. They're regular people that work at these companies and get excited about the same things that we're getting excited about. And in some cases don't know anything more than we know about. So Michael Garber tweeted out, companies are getting FOMO for the remaining governing council seats, like the tail end of a sold out NFT sale. Um, and I think the community sees that and goes, oh my God, this is a new revelation. Companies are just going crazy over this and, and retweeting him and all these kinds of things. And I think like literally what that was, was him reacting to the interview that he was listening to that King Solomon and I were having with Lehman. I, I literally think that's what it was. He was just another another person in the community excited about the interview and what he was hearing and like i took that as like oh my god here's some you know here's some breadcrumb or rumor or whatever and and like anyone in the community it's like turns out it's like no i was just listening to the show and was excited so it's like i think in general remembering that like not all these things that people talk about on Twitter are anything. It, it, you're just witnessing a regular person have a reaction to something the same as you are. So I'm going to try to be more mindful of that. I think it's, I think especially in a bear market and when we're bored, kind of like jumping right to the right out of the gate, being very eager to generate that excitement. Um, I'm going to try to be more conscious of that. I mean, I get this show is gaining in popularity. I used to write, you know, a tech publication with 13 editors, you have to be responsible. I mean, when you have people listening to you and, you know, people at swirls or whatever, tweeting something about, you know, some stuff that you're talking about or whatever, it's like, you, you gotta be responsible. So it's like, I'm going to try to be a little bit more responsible with that stuff. I've really tried to not overhype things or not try to like build a mountain out of, out of an anthill. So, um, and it, and I can't even imagine how frustrating it is for these guys too. They they just want to be excited about what's happening. They they literally work at Hedera or at Swirls, and they're seeing something exciting, and they're like, "I'm excited," and and then we're like, "What are you excited about?" Oh my God, Michael's excited about something. What could it be? More on on the show. I'll talk about it. There's nothing to talk about. It's just literally the same stuff I was excited about. So. I think it's going to be important for people like myself to be a little more conscious of that. Um, so shout out to Michael, shout out to Justin, continue enjoying the things that you're enjoying. And, and uh, I'll try to shoot you a DM next time I get a little too excited about something. You can just tell me to calm down.
Um, HBAR Suite, new decks, uh, they just added um, a cross-chain component to their decks. So being able to trade assets on other networks, right? Swapping HBAR for Ethereum, yada, yada, yada. Um, they're going through a third party with that. So, you know, you're going to eat it on fees. It's not going to be as effective as bridging something like via Hashport or whatever, but great option. Um, and I mean, seeing this story of a smart contract list decks coming to life, like it's running right now and some people are using it and it's very, very captivating, very fascinating, right? I mean, only on Hedera would you see, it was only a matter of time, right? Before we had some of these traditional DeFi financial services and products offered in a way that took advantage of Hedera's native protocol, the L1. And inherently that would be an app net, right? It's not going to be something that's using a smart contract. So fascinating story to uh, to watch. I mean, it, it, quite frankly, it like, doesn't matter what your opinion is on, on this DEX or that DEX or whatever. It's like, just from a technical standpoint, like what if it doesn't work? What if it does? You know, the whole notion of this network is that app nets and building things without smart contracts are a viable option and scalable option and arguably a, a better alternative. And then the other side to the coin is, well, nobody's doing that right now. You put yourself on an island. It's a risk. It's it's something new. It's something fresh. I'm keeping my eye on it. We'll see what happens. Maybe this one works. Maybe it doesn't. But I think that it is part of this this uh, Web3 future. And I mean, shout out to uh, those guys for going out on a little bit of a limb. I think it's uh, well worth it. By the way, if, if um, I don't know what time it is here, we got to get this wrapped up soon. I mean, if, if uh, Hangry is around, someone shoot him a DM. I'd love to have him up here to chat on something. I don't know what the chances are of that. He's a busy guy. He's a popular guy. Um, but there's some big news. I'll, I'll make sure to mention it, but if I can get him up, I just don't have the brain power to message him. I have my, I, I put my do not disturb on my phone when I'm doing the show because I keep getting DMs and stuff when I'm doing the show and it's so distracting. Um, there's a new no code slash low code options for building on Hedera from Jogit. Very cool. Um, I think this is really critical. I mean, not everyone's a developer. There is definitely always a shortage of developers um, in Hedera. Everyone's spread thin. So you got a good idea. You want to maybe work on a minimum viable product. You want to kind of see if your idea would bring value to somebody. Now you have options with um, companies like Jogit to go in and, and have a modular experience building things much like you have like a WYSIWYG website editor building a little doodad for the network. I think that's great. Um, there's a YouTube video. I shared it in the thread. There's not really much to explain, right? We're all familiar what can be built on the network. We're all familiar that you have to use some kind of SDK or whatever and coding and everything. And we're also all familiar with website builders like WordPress or Squarespace or whatever it is. So it's like, it's kind of that vibe. It's a little easier to make it happen, get an idea out there. So I'd say if you have an idea of something cool, if you've identified a problem in the ecosystem that should be solved, there's no excuses now. Go check it out. Go build something. Go play around. That's how it all gets started. Um, the uh, update from Hedera in relation to the World Economic Forum, I mean, definitely a lot of opinions on this topic and Hedera's involvement. Um, quote, Hedera is proud to have contributed to the Reimagining Digital ID Insight Report published by 
the World Economic Forum, providing analytical frameworks, tools, and recommendations regarding decentralized identification technology, policy, governance, and implementation. So, I mean, one thing that um, I think it was Brett McDowell, chair of the Hedera board, was talking about, he was previously at the FIDO, FIDO Alliance for privacy type stuff. Anyways, he said something that kind of stuck with me because he was speaking a little bit to this, a little bit to the World Economic Forum stuff and, and these kinds of um, topics around digital ID. And he said something kind of interesting to me that I kind of keep in mind when I talk about these topics is he says, when we talk about digital ID or decentralized identity, partially what we're talking about is humans, right? A decentralized identity for a person. A lot of what we talk about is digital IDs for things much like what Atma.io is doing, right? Decentralized identity for products and parts and widgets along a supply chain. Um, he, you know, there's there's a lot of decentralized identity around non-human entities and products and things out there, digital and physical. Um, so that's also a component of this. I always try to look at it from that perspective where like a portion of it is um, decentralized identity for people. A lot of it is also in relation to other things. So there's that. But also, again, it's like the World Economic Forum. I think that with a lot of narrative around that, it's, you know, I definitely am hesitant, especially these days when I hear about consolidation of powers or um, kind of this, I, I don't know exactly how to put it, but it's just, it it definitely like, like so many other people, you know, a hair in my ear twitches and kind of like just something doesn't feel quite right. And I completely get that. And what I will say is that I think about two scenarios, right? And in both I think part of the problem is I think everyone can, can agree that the World Economic Forum, there's no sign of it slowing down. It's it's a flywheel that's running at you know full speed right now. So really, there's two scenarios. It's like one scenario where we don't have Hedera involved, and then there's another scenario where Hedera is involved in some capacity. And I mean, I don't think Hedera represents the community as well as it could yet. Um, but by its nature, Hedera is arguably a DAO. By its nature, Hedera is governed by these companies. By its nature, the community could have a DAO that becomes a governing council member, blah, blah, blah. There's going to be community nodes, whatever. It's going to continue to get more decentralized. Having this kind of decentralized entity as part of these conversations, potentially having regular people throw some weight around it's a better alternative than not being involved at all. I'm happy Hedera is a part of it and and contributing and having a seat at the table and calling some of these shots because I do think that a lot of the opinions of Hedera does align in some ways with the community. So it's like it's tough. I mean, it's good to it's good to have a seat at the table and and have our network have a seat at the table. It's there's a lot of contention around what's what's going on. So a story to follow not going to dive into it too much further. Just wanted to highlight it because I know it's so important to so many people, want to make people aware. So those conversations, those difficult conversations can continue because they're important. Um, so 
Great to have context. Great to talk about it. Shout out to HGraph and Patches from HGraph and uh, Turtle Moon. Um, the Bitcoin ordinals stuff has been very interesting to watch unfold. You know, tens of millions of dollars of liquidity have moved through those those little NFTs and. There's all sorts of strange ways that they're building out that infrastructure. To me, it sounds like it's five guys and a laptop. It's scaling. They're trying to figure out different things. And very um, smartly, Patches approaches that community and says, listen, you guys need essentially a layer two to do all sorts of different things. Inherently... Bitcoin for these fungible tokens and for these ordinals and stuff is not optimal. You want to be able to move these things around. You want to be able to have governance. You want to be able to have decentralization. Why not leverage something like a hash graph that's open source that you can spin up on your own to accomplish these things? And um, HGraph actually did like um, a vote, leveraging ordinals, all those different types of things um, on their platform. So just wanted to highlight that as a really great example of the Hashgraph and, you know, Hedera community looking for ways that that this network and this technology can help other networks succeed because through those positive experiences, interactions, and results, this technology is going to gain adoption, Right. Um, so I think this is a really great approach in a variety of different approaches that's so important. So, I mean, shout out to Patches, shout out to HGraph, shout out to the Ordinals people. Lots of cool stuff happening there. Tons of money flowing around. Lots of disorganization and lack of infrastructure. A great situation for Hedera. I think that instead of turning our nose up at other networks, realizing that effectively Hedera can act as a layer two for these other networks to supplement different things. A common example is, um, sometimes networks like Solana can struggle to keep time correctly and accurately. Hedera um, and its um, uh, consensus service can help with that. So it's a vibe, guys. So shout out to HGraph, shout out to Patches, all that good stuff. Um, what else we got going on? Um, blah, 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 blah. I mean, uh, the Masari Crypto Quarter 2 report came out. Go check it out. Just some two highlights. Hedera champions revenue growth quarter over quarter, increasing revenue by 489%. And that's revenue, right? That is money generated through transactions, albeit very small. It is growing at a, at a quick clip. Um, so that can be appreciated. The growth is attributed to the increased use of HCS. Now, again, HCS doesn't make a lot of money per transaction. Very, very small. As we see a diversification of transactions and types of those transactions moving through the main net, revenue could drastically increase. And I'll give you a quick example. Let's say we're averaging at a thousand transactions per second. Currently about 99.5 of those transactions or, or more are HCS transactions, right? Low revenue transactions. If the diversification of non-HCS transactions were to increase from half a percent to maybe a percent and a half or 2%, revenue on the network could 10x. So it's not just about the amount of transactions flowing through the network, but it's also about the different types of transactions because they're not created equal. They're very, very different in terms of revenue generation by a factor of 100. So one type of transaction could be worth 
100 or 1,000 of a different type of transaction. So you can definitely see the impacts there. Another interesting tidbit from this report was the total full not, the total full-time dev count increased by 4% across all networks. Hedera's full-time devs increased by 28%. So in the again, in the face of this bear market, to the credit of the foundation, Hedera, all its affiliated parties, hats off. I mean, although it could be more effective and optimized, there continues to be aggressive development in the ecosystem. Um, and and just manpower. So I think that, uh, that uh, you know, people power. So I think that that is um, just incredible. So, I mean, great report. Uh, we're at one transaction per second. So um, I think that we, we, we've got to bring it back, right? Um, don't want to scare these people doing these reports, but there it is. Um, on the flip side, the testnet is is continuing to scream. I mean, it's not screaming right now, but we've seen it um, nipping at the heels of the 10K um, TPS mark. We're watching it steadily tick above 5,000 TPS. So as Lehman says, right, watch the testnet. That activity will eventually move over to the main net. I like what I'm seeing on testnet. We'll continue watching. I think it's a bit of a vibe, you know? Um, and then just the last, uh, I think this is one of our last stories. Um, it's worth mentioning um, just a couple things from uh, the, um, the 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 recent HBAR Bull video that uh, Brandon posts every Friday. If you don't watch those, please go check them out. They're fantastic. Um, he's been doing them longer than I've been doing this show. True OG in the space. I think he was doing... He was doing episodes since like 2018 or something crazy like that. So, and his recent episode, um, and this just goes off of an article that um, that uh, Coin Telegraph published, headline um, breaking: U.S. lawmakers file SEC Stabilization Act to fire Gary Gensler. Gary Gensler, infamous um, head of the SEC. Um, having a, a very um, productive tenure, I'd, I'd say, and, and um, you know, coming after Binance, coming after Coinbase, um, doing some pretty crazy stuff. You know, Bitcoin's not a security. Everything else is a security, all that kind of stuff. That article comes out and it segues nicely into um, uh, the HBAR bull had the chief legal officer at the HBAR Foundation, um, George Pesach, who shared a couple of things. And I'll read, um, I'll, I'll kind of just break down a couple of my notes. So the way George interprets the broad actions against Binance and Coinbase by the SEC under Gary is, and he says this, Gary putting his fingers in his ears going, la, 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 I'm not listening. There's no argument and, and, you know, I, I'd have to agree with that sentiment in particular. It definitely feels that way. Uh, George goes on to say, it's a difficult position because it doesn't allow for a path forward. And I really think that's what this is about is regardless of what um, different players' intentions are, right? Regardless of what Binance's Coinbase and the SECs and the CFTCs and, and every all these different players all their independent intentions. It's like, we just need, you know, a path forward. 
Um, and there just is none. So I think that that is, you know, definitely a difficult situation to be in. Something else that George says um, on the show, uh, he talks about the fact that the House Financial Services Committee and the AG Committee regulate the CFTC. The CFTC regulates the SEC. So this is important to note because um, uh, Naremi from Hedera was in front of these committees presenting use cases that are built on Hedera, making the case for DLTs um, to these committees and hearings for these committees continue. There was just one this week so <clears throat> that I, that I um, have heard is, is pretty wild. So it's very interesting to understand that all that kind of like Russian nesting doll of regulations and, and um, you know, how that all, how that all kind of ties together. That was a very interesting, um, those are very interesting. And those committees have drafted the quote, digital asset market structure bill. So this, if we, when we talk about having a pathway forward, this is a really good bet for a pathway forward from these committees that regulate the SEC effectively. Um, and he also touches on the Ripple case. He And he reminds everybody, the SEC has brought 140 cases to the judiciary and won them all, right? So it's all about kind of, you know, we saw the Hinman emails updates and all those different types of things. So it's definitely about correcting course um, on a new pathway. And, and uh, again, George notes, for clear legislation, the Ripple case should win. If you're just buying a product on a marketplace, it shouldn't be a security. He references uh, Micah here as well. He said it shouldn't be a security. So basically saying, if you're on an NFT marketplace and you're buying an NFT, you're just buying a product, same as in other contexts outside of crypto. So it's like, there's so many kind of clear um, common sense elements to this that are just lost in the, in the conversation and the craziness from the SEC. Um, the ripple summary judgment decision should have been in quarter two, which is, which he's kind of saying is the first path forward. So the second path forward would be the digital asset management structure bill, as I mentioned previously, passing as legislation in Congress, which would be a challenge, right? It has to go to the house that has to go to the Senate. It's a whole thing. So, and you could see, um, you know, the you know Elizabeth Warren and different lawmakers that are very that aren't sold on the idea of crypto, you making that a challenge. So those were some insights on that. Very interesting. Um, the other thing that was on the show, just I think the last thing I'll mention in the show because then we're going to wrap this up, guys. Because I know we've been going for a while here. These these episodes get get so dense, but I really appreciate everyone sticking around. Um, <clears throat> He had Rob Allen on the show previously at the HBAR Foundation, now at the Hashgraph Association. Always interesting to hear Rob Allen's insights. Uh, 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 true Hedera OG. I want to just quickly mention a couple things that Rob Allen said. And this is in the context of they originally wanted to compare Hedera as a network to Algorand, but instead it was just Rob Allen talking about what makes Hedera really cool, great, and special. And a few things. He says that we don't talk enough about the ABFT component and the fair ordering component and the fixed fee component. He says these are so unique and so fundamental to the network um, 
especially for enterprise, so critical. He says like those three things alone set Hedera apart from other networks. And, and it is true. And I, th and, and I can't remember the last time that I really thought deeply about those aspects. I think we just kind of accept it as, you know, the, just the way things are. But it's worth a reminder that they're actually, you know, just even the fixed fees, like that is such a revelation in how this technology can work that is a no-brainer for enterprise. So that's crazy. He also says, um, he, he used the phrase, Hedera is a next generation internet. Um, and again, it's just being regrounded and reminded that again, Lehman said like, you want to be able to carve out your own piece of cyberspace or whatever. It's like, you know, they, they also talk about Hedera being the plumbing of the internet. Again, just getting back to basics. This is a really good segment for just getting back to basics on this stuff. Um, he also said, actually, Brandon, um, the HBAR bull, he kind of rebounded off of what Rob was talking about. And he said something very interesting to me, just from his perspective as an investor, why invest in Hedera? He said, Hedera hits the theoretical limits of DLTs, right? What if there's another network that reaches these same limits? What if there's a competitor that in all technical aspects is just as good as Hedera. Again, hitting the nail on the head and bringing this back to basics, it is so hard to launch a network and even harder to get governance. And I think that that's the other component that we forget about often is the technology, the hash graph algorithm, the network is literally just half of the equation. The other half is the innovations in governance, the governing council, these companies coming together and taking true ownership of this network and stewarding it. So <clears throat> that's, again, I encourage people to go watch that segment. It was great. It was very grounding. And it was worth getting back to basics. It was worth remembering that really the coolest things about this network have been here since day one. They're still the coolest things, fixed fees, ABFT, um, and, uh, you know, all those different types of things. So important. So <clears throat> my, my goodness, this is, uh, this has been a show and another week behind us, another week ahead. I just want to give a huge shout out to everyone listening live to the Twitter spaces right now. Another huge shout out to everyone listening to the recording on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and an extra, extra shout out to everyone making a donation to the show. If you have a moment and you're listening, please give the show a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. It helps a lot. So the show was called They Probably Already Know. That's what I titled the show. And... I don't think I need to talk about that too much. I think people get what I'm talking about. There's been so many different things this year, and especially right now in this last week or two, that you get the idea that more and more major players know about Hedera, but don't talk about it for whatever reason. And I'll give a great example. 
perfect ability earlier was talking about Mark Cuban and his conversations around surrounding crypto, the space, the longevity and success of it, and the analogies with the dot-com bubble. And <clears throat> Mark Cuban knows about Hedera in two, and I'll give you two examples. Um, a, a, an OG and main Hedera use case, Hala Systems, that deals in defense of, you know, areas experiencing, you know, war. Hala Systems leverages the Hedera network for different components. Mark Cuban is, that that's one of his kind of portfolio companies. <clears throat> Another um, is a use case wherein the Dallas Mavericks and a couple other NBA teams would be tokenizing tickets. That was purported to leverage Hedera as well. So why doesn't Mark Cuban talk about Hedera publicly, right? And I think it's because people aren't ready for it. They're still trying to sell people on the idea of crypto, of NFTs, of blockchains. Heck, even Lehman uses the word blockchain. It's about the lexicon and vernacular of the general public of things that they understand. And I think that Hedera being a third generation DLT is very far removed from the concepts, the bare bone basics that we're trying to get people to understand. And I think that um, people that we look at like Elon Musk, like these main, like these major founders, all these different things, they know about Hedera. They have to. Because Lehman, just on our interview, to me, tells me that working on DREC through Swirls Labs, they're already talking to major companies, to other networks. Other networks are excited about the DREC product. That means that they're talking to literally Lehman. They're talking to Swirls. There are ongoing conversations between the offices of Swirls and other networks and other companies. So it would be really, it, it seems almost impossible that these people don't know about Hedera, right? On every front. It's safe to say that. What are the chances that they don't, right? They look into everything. And I think the question here isn't, why don't they know about Hedera? Why haven't they looked into it, all these different types of things. I think the question instead is, is there a good reason why they don't talk more publicly about Hashgraph as a technology and about Hedera? Is it to pump their bags, right? Are they, are they trying to buy it and they don't want it to gain in popularity? I don't think that's the case. I think what it's more about is does the topic of Hedera, does in the in the topic surrounding Hashgraph, does it lend itself to the story that's being told about crypto to try to onboard the masses? No, I don't think so right now. I think it's very complex topics. It's it's it goes very deep. And I think that in Hedera's case, it's about the use cases, right? We talk about coupons. When coupons go live on Hedera, my mom will be using Hedera and she won't realize it when she's using a coupon to get, you know, 25 cents off milk. There's going to be a way that, that things get going. And I think that that's, that's what it's about is 
especially this week and seeing the things that we've been seeing and my conversation with Lehman, it is clear that more people than we think know about Hedera Hashgraph. And the question isn't just why aren't they talking about it? But the question is, is there a good reason why they aren't? What's the strategy here, right? If there is a, if there is a superior technology, what, where does the, where does Hashgraph fit into this conversation? It gets my brain going um, just because I'll say it here. I just think they already know. They probably do. When you see, when you see Elon, when you see all these H barbarians respond to Elon Musk, like check out Hedera, blah, blah, blah. It's like, he already knows, you know, um, any tech CEO, Google's tech CEO, Google's on the governing council, people like, come on, they know, they know. And I want to learn more about what the thought process is about explaining crypto to people and how Hedera fits into it. It can't be as simple as they just want to pump their bags. It can't be. But it is as simple as they probably already know. And thank you for tuning in to Hashgraph News and Rumors episode 80 broadcast live on Twitter spaces every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and made available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts every Monday. Get all the info you need about the show and listen to past episodes at itsbrandond.com slash hbar. Make sure to join the Hashgraph Enthusiast Twitter community to share your insights, ask questions, and invite new friends. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, feel free to send an HBAR donation to enthusiast.hbar using your Hedera wallet. The full HBAR address is in the show notes and in the spaces or the uh, Twitter thread pins at the top of the spaces. I just got to say, it makes my day like I got a donation to the show for like 50 H bar. And it was just like someone saying, I love the show, really love the episode. Like that stuff just makes my day. And I want to come up with better, more creative ways to have participation in the show and support it. But I thought about that deeply. And I mean, for the time being, there's just something so delightful about there's nothing. It's just simple. It's just an H bar address and you donate to the show if you'd like it to grow. There's, I, you know, I don't need the donations. I really want to continually make the show better. I mean, now it's on all major podcast platforms. There's now some equipment that I have to purchase. Um, you know, we've got the microphone. I have to get a mixing interface. I want to be doing some stuff. I want to sound better. I want to pump in cool stuff to the show. I don't want to use the lame built-in Twitter music, all that good stuff. Um, and it just, it just makes my day to just get those cool memos and those transactions on the hash graph of a little donation to the show. It's just, it's just awesome. I just love it. It's amazing. So I just want to keep it super simple. I want the community to dictate the growth of this show. It, you know, it keeps growing. It's growing from hundreds of listeners to thousands. Um, and I could go in head first and all those different types of things. But I just thought the easiest way for the community to communicate that they want more of the show is just sending some H bar. Cause it means that I can use it to do more of the show. It just, it just feels so simple and lightweight and it's, and it's just easy peasy. So just wanted to say how much I appreciate it. Any donation matters. And 
to be honest, for me, it's just the memos are delightful. I mean, even just like sending an H bar, just a cool message. It just makes my day. Um, so really appreciate it, everybody. Um, I'll see you live on Twitter spaces next Sunday, again, at 7 PM Eastern, 4 PM Pacific. And for everyone listening now, as usual, if you see someone listening and you don't recognize their profile picture on Twitter spaces, hit their profile. Now give them a follow send them a DM, ask them what they're up to. You definitely have something in common. You've been listening to me talk for two hours. So hit it up, make some new connections. That's what this is all about. And if you see somebody listening that you do know that you haven't reached out to in a while, do it right now, hit their profile picture and shoot them a DM, ask them what's new. I guarantee you they got something new going on. Do it. It's worth it. Trust me. That is the, it's Brandon D community guarantee you're going to have something cool happen if you make the effort and say hello to somebody today that's what's going on so huge shout out to everybody listening appreciate you guys and, and just a quick thank you again to king solomon for coming up on the show perfect ability with the reddit report pluto from hash pack um i think that's everybody um just awesome stuff thanks so much hello future goodbye past